After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high-quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock. I'm still loving this thing. I love this thing so much that I'd like to invest in the company. I am so impressed with this product that I'm willing to back it. And if anyone out there knows how I can do it, please reach out. You got to check it out for yourself. I'll probably do a quick social post, but for now, just search UV Video Lock. Do it online. It's a three-in-one smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition, so I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. We are always on the go, and being able to monitor our home on the road is such a nice option. Not only that, I don't have to rush to the door if the doorbell rings. I can either open the door or ignore whoever's at the door by vetting them through the app. There is no monthly fees for security video storage. The battery is rechargeable, and each charge lasts about four months. This UV lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's Eufy, E-U-F-Y Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Sunday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. This is our UFC 279 reaction show. And on today's program, I'm gonna talk about Diaz Ferguson and what Nate 
might have in store after tonight plus. I'll talk about Hazmet Jemayev. He had a dominant win over a game, Kevin Holland, and I'll fill you in on all the craziness that happened since Friday. Let's waste no time and get right into it. Guys, this was a feel-good moment. Now, let, let me set the stage for you, if I may. I'm down here at BGI Studios, got a screen right behind me, whole team watches the fight. I sit down, give you guys my reaction. I don't know if I've ever sat in this chair and ever told you guys, I just watched a fist fight in a steel cage. Oh, and by the way, it was a feel-good moment. I, I don't make a habit of sounding stupid over here. This was a feel-good moment. What just happened? I mean, this isn't real time, guys. What just happened? What is your emotion? How are you feeling right now? And why are you feeling that? So, we don't have a favorite going in the main event, right? I mean, even if we do, we're not going to voice who it is. Nate Diaz, as an ultimate fighter winner, as a title contender, who's had an illustrious career, who has brought us many of great moments, and who, by the way, is a veteran within the sport. We're just not going to disrespect him. If we're cheering against him, we're just not going to say it. No reason to. Real quietly, you might tell a buddy who you think's going to win, but who you think is going to win is very different than who you're cheering for. Now, the other side of the coin. If you're not cheering against Nate, you must be with Tony. But you're not going to say it. You're not. You're just not going to say it out loud. You, you have an ultimate fighter winner. You have a title challenger, and you have a veteran within the sport. We we respect the fact that it's the veteran time of their career, and that's how we're going to word it, right? Okay. Well, I wanted to test how right I was. So one of the times where I kind of silenced Emma and Ethan and Ryan and the team is when Bruce Buffer introduced him. I was just curious. I wanted to know what 15,000 live in attendance were going to do in terms of who are you going to cheer, or if you're going to cheer them both, who are you going to cheer louder for? And I have a feeling some of you, a random, who do you think, guys? We're right down the middle here. I mean, my thumb being on the pulse of our collective emotion going into this contest, knowing that one guy is going to ride off in the sunset and one guy we believe is going to remain. But whoever the one is to remain has got to get through a hurdle known as a post-fight press conference where he's going to be, if we're keeping track, I believe, five in the hole. We don't know what tonight represents. And for all we knew, it was very, very realistically the last time that we see either of our heroes make that walk. We know that, but we don't discuss that. We don't talk about that in headlines. We say other things. We say this is going to be a great fight. We say they sure are great. We say we sure do like them. We say nobody gets released. Nobody ends their career being a main event. We say things like this, but deep down inside, we know 
When the music hits those speakers times two, it might be the last walk. So we have a fight to unpack. And the X's and O's of this fight, I have a feeling most of us have forgotten. But I will share with you about 20 seconds into the fight. And you guys saw blood gashing uh, down Tony's leg. The announcers caught it and Bersari and his team zoomed in on You see this blood coming down Tony's leg. I saw that kick. It was about 20, it was about 25 seconds in. But it was actually very relevant. Tony Ferguson is very nasty with particularly his left leg kick. Nate Diaz has a story of his career of not defending leg kicks. Why do I bring that up? Because 25 seconds in, Tony threw one of his best weapons. Nate Diaz simply brought his leg up and checked it, but it did damage to Tony. There's no other time in Nate's career you could make that statement. And you might think it's simple, guys, but when we're watching these guys, we're watching these veterans, and we're watching these greats, we're not resting on their laurels. We're hoping that we can see something within the contest that shows that they're getting better, like a younger fighter, like the younger version of themselves. I saw it 25 seconds in. I saw Nate Diaz bring the leg up, turn the knee out. Not only did he not take the leg kick, he stopped largely broad stroke. He stopped Tony Ferguson from throwing leg kicks, which is one of his best weapons. And he showed a new wrinkle. That happened. I have to give Nate credit for this. Now, it looked as though these boys just weren't going to go to the ground. And the only one that tried to take it there was Tony Ferguson, but he wasn't real serious about it. He went for two takedown attempts, and if you think that you saw more, I'm going to credit him with two. But one of them was pretty serious. Nate pummeled in, Nate kept it on her feet. Now you get a kickboxing match. The first time they hit the ground, it's a very compelling storyline, but there's certain holds, if you're caught in them, it's probably a curtain call. Chemayev, just by example, got to one of those positions. Nate Diaz, by example, there's a few ways to do a guillotine, but Nate does his very different. If you understand the X's and O's and you saw, it's probably a curtain call. You're probably not going to get out of it. But when this was done and Nate came to his feet and Nate spoke to Joe Rogan, he did not tell us all, thank you, F you, bye. He did not. He said something very different, very, very different. We always think we know Nate Diaz, and we always get it wrong. He said, I'm going to go do something else. That's been reported. Joe Rogan tried to pin him down. Are you talking about going into professional boxing? Because that rumor was here forever until a week ago when Brett Okamoto says, no, he's going to apply for a promoter's license to get into that side of the game. Nate did what Nate does, which is to keep us guessing, but then he said something different, didn't he, guys? He said, and then I'm going to be right back here to win a championship. That changed the tone of the entire evening. I've already forgotten that Tony Ferguson got beat. And I've already forgotten that Nate Diaz supposedly made his last walk. I'm going to go do something else. I'm going to come right back here and be a UFC champion is the only thing I remember. I woke up at 3 a.m. today. Every single year for one week, which consists of seven days, I got to get up at 3 a.m. And there's only two people to keep me company, Ben Askren and Aaron Simpson. We all get up 
at the same time, one week a year, because the world championships are on for wrestling, and we're wrestling fans. Now, wrestling is a competitive architecture. It's a straight-line bracket that we all understand. You have guys from all over the globe. It's the world championship. What that means is that every single country can send one. And you will start however big that bracket is. And the next round, you will break it down. It's awesome. When I was up this morning, it was the semifinals. So we're down to the four best guys in the world. The only two people, I know a lot of people. I know you guys, because I'm on social media. It's not just my phone. It's not just my Rolodex. It's you guys. I can send out tweets. I can get responses. I can be social. I can go back and forth. There was two people awake, Aaron Simpson and Ben Askren. The absolute best were squaring off. Now, they can't speak to each other. They can't speak about each other. They don't get 10 weeks to prepare for one specific match. One specific match does not get to be promised to us, the audience. Whoever comes out of the quarterfinals draws into the round I'm talking about of the semifinals. I watched it alone with the company of Aaron Simpson, who's in Arizona, and Ben Askren, who was in Missouri. This isn't a joke, guys. I come into tonight, I come into the UFC. No competitive architecture. I don't know if I have the right guys. But I know that I have an incredible story. I know I have great resumes. I got an ultimate fighter champion versus the ultimate fighter champion. A guy, guy that does some business at 55 but floats up to 70 against a guy that does some business at 55 and floats up to 70. Geographically, they're set up by 48 miles. They've never said a single word about each other, but they've followed each other's past. How would Nate Diaz's career end in the UFC if he had not to fought Tony Ferguson? Could you guys even imagine the conversation that we'd be having? Truly, if we go to Sherdog, we go to the Fight Finder, we bring up everybody that Ferguson fought. Oh, by the way, his career is over. We go bring up everybody that Nate Diaz fought, the dates that he fought them, the career and the span that he fought them over, and we find out they didn't cross paths. We got to sit somebody down. I mean, we're going to want to know. Between Dana, between Hunter, between Sean, between Mick, between Joe Silva, however far back we got to go, we just, why, how did they not cross paths? Now, let me give you a different scenario. Nate Diaz leaves the UFC. Nate Diaz fought Chamayev. Cool. Did it have to happen? This had to happen. I'm watching these two guys in the ring. I turn to the team over here at BGI. I say, how have these guys never fought? I don't know. I don't even remember them speaking about each other. But when they got in there tonight, on 24 hours notice, they knew each other inside and out. They had a plan. It was so obvious that these two guys in their own mind, in their own camps for years have been preparing for this match. And truly, if you think about it from this perspective, guys, I'm trying to be nostalgic. There could have been a death tonight of a career. There's not enough ink and there's not enough time. But these are two veterans that at any given day, we were told that Nate wasn't coming back. We were told that. At least it was implied. Tony Ferguson is now changing weight classes. Chased gold at 55 and slid up to 70. When you start doing that later in your career, there's just no room for air. This is a situation that in many ways, you want to know why I wore a dark shirt today? I thought we were going to mourn something. I didn't know what it was. 
but I thought we were going to close a chapter. I thought we were going to move on. It, it's very different when I saw them in there. Hear what I'm saying, and let me say this again. Had Nate Diaz's career ended and he fought Chemayev, cool. Had Nate Diaz's career ended and he hadn't fought Tony Ferguson, what? And the same thing goes for Tony, right? It's the same spot, a little bit more focus on Nate. Because we feel that we do have some clarity that Nate is going to be done and set the gloves down in some capacity. Now, whether that post-fight interview spun that around or not, this is still how we felt. And Tony Ferguson, who stepped in to save the day, who's ranked in the top 10. I don't know where he's at, but he's somewhere at 155. He's left the weight class. So we're okay. We're okay. There's a night off. There's going to be some entertainment. Our heroes will live on. The story is wildly different. This fight had to happen. Not it got to happen. Not we, we, we need to have some fun. When I was watching these two compete and it was so readily prevalent how prepared they were for each other. Nate Diaz went to the ground one time. Tony Ferguson has shown that he likes to push hard on that. He's open to guillotines. Nobody's ever tapped him. Nobody's ever cinched it up. His neck has been in jeopardy. And Nate knew it. And he knew to he, he knew to do what we call favor the left side, which is the odd side for a guillotine. Normally it would be the right side. These guys were prepared for each other. And they have been for a very obvious amount of time. They showed a respect. They appreciated each other. There was no fake malice. There was no manufactured conflict. There was even times between rounds when these two are doing what we call jaw-jacking at each other. And Tony Ferguson, just to make it clear that we're good, gave him this sign. This is the praise sign. This hey, it's all good. He told him his piece. He used some colorful language, but he let him know, man, I know who you are. I know what we're doing in here. I know that we're making history. And when I watched the World Championships this morning with only two people that I could identify that were awake, and I juxtaposed that against tonight, where the one thing these two guys had in common is they weren't fighting for a bell. The other thing they had in common is they hadn't won their previous fight. The other thing that they had in common, they hadn't won the fight before that. But when the time came and they were called upon, they said yes. What do you do with Tony Ferguson, right? That question's gonna be asked, and you're probably kicking that round just a little bit. And what you don't understand is how much power your answer to the question I just had is going to have. Your sense, your pulse, your responses, your social media, it's going to have a tremendous impact. Not only on, uh, with the suits on the second floor of the UFC, it's going to have an impact with Tony. It's one thing that you guys miss. These big stars, these big fancy guys you see on TV, listen to you. All of it. They hear it all. And... Before you think 
And before we begin to shovel in the last piles of dirt on the grave of Tony's career, excuse me, we don't punish guys for taking risks. Tony Ferguson went up to 170 pounds. Tony Ferguson's last fight with Michael Chandler was at 155 pounds. That wasn't that long ago. I don't have the date in front of me, but Chandler, his opponent, by example, hasn't fought yet. Tony had an automatic suspension. It was the first time that he was ever knocked out. He took that suspension. He stayed out of the gym. He packed a bag. He made a tough decision. He went out to Albuquerque. He worked hard. He took risks. And yesterday, Friday, a question and a proposal was presented to him that was not in the plans, and he said yes. Now, when we look back, if I'm to use another example, right, if this is a court of law, I have to have something called precedent. I think you guys are going to be on my side with Tony in the first place. But if we need precedent, allow me to insert a recent example that was Prohaska versus Teixeira. Prohaska won fair and square. Nobody argues. But the judges turned their cards in. There was 30 seconds left on the clock. Glover did not need to beat his opponent. He just needed to beat the clock. So when that match is done and there's a new champion and you want to talk about who's the rightful guy, we're not talking about stories. That's stuff that guys like me come and try to influence you with. You got to resist guys like me. You got to resist a guy talking about the story. You got to resist a guy talking about the drama. You got to really force yourself to show an integrity to the sport. And the top contender doesn't just default to who won the last fight and it was highest ranked. What that ranking is supposed to represent is skill-wise, who is better than who. That's what it's supposed to represent. Oftentimes, guys like me win the day. We influence you with a level of story or some kind of a tough luck he took it on short notice while his wife was in labor and he won. He deserves. How many times have we said that? He deserves. Shut up. We stopped believing that when we were 15 years old. We're well aware it doesn't work that way. And what we're supposed to do against the champions, when we talk about a number one contender, we talk about a number five guy, a number seven, whoever's got that number next to him, it's supposed to mean they can beat the guy in front of them. And Glover Teixeira showed us, without a shadow of a doubt, how well he can do. He showed us, without any argument, how well he could do, specifically against Prohaska. Showed us that he was 30 seconds away, skill-wise, from beating what is now the champion of the world. There was never a question. It was Glover. Never. Not in terms of who would do the best, who would be the biggest challenge. That, for sure, was proven. But you had to wait nine weeks for guys like me who come and tell you that's not what it's about. 
who come and try to reconvince you it's about deserve, who try to reconvince you that it's about stories. I think that it's a very relevant example by me because Tony, you're going to tell me Tony Ferguson's done? Let me guess. Tony Ferguson should never fight again. Dana White should go give uh, Nate Diaz 20% of the company and get him back. We can't wait to watch Nate. Nate's great. Nate should be in there with Leon for a world championship. We were told this was a number one contenders match. By the way, Tony, grab, grab a t-shirt on your way out in great career. How can, how can we do that after what we just saw? It was an extremely competitive fight. That's my only point. Tony's a 55-pounder who took a fight at 170. Tony was given a 30-day suspension. I don't know how long ago that fight was, but he didn't have a whole ton of time to train. He wanted to get back in there, get back on the horse, give you guys something, prove something to himself without the preparation for main event conditioning. He walked into a main event, and he was at a point of the fight that per his contract yesterday never would have existed. Tony Ferguson lost this fight at a minute and a second and a round and a time in place that contractually yesterday was impossible to happen. We don't punish guys for saying yes. We don't punish guys for stepping up. We don't say goodbye to guys that were in main events of pay-per-views. We don't act like a guy can't do anything anymore when he competed in every single bit of the contest and got caught in one position. We don't do that to anybody. Your opinion matters. Your responses matter. I hope that you fall on the side of Tony Ferguson. have the hardest physical experience that has ever happened to you, okay? Now, you'll get you'll get athletes and you'll get trainers. You'll get guys in a room saying, I'm searching for that every day. You'll get guys that will show up to practice twice a day, every day. They're running sprints and they're going hard. They're sweating out eight, nine, ten pounds in between workouts. They must force themselves to hydrate, hydrate, because they're sweating that much. Could you imagine? Could you imagine working that hard? That you've got to, for hours, you've got to force yourself to a recovery process just so you can go back in and do it again. You're going to do this twice a day, every day. Now, what I just described to you might sound really elite, but on the professional level, it's everybody else. Everybody you turn left, everybody you turn right, did just what I just described. The laziest guy in the team is one of the hardest workers alive. It's just true. Any team, any sport, any way that you want to do it, you say that you're searching for this, but when you finally find it, you guys can relate. Wherever you did, whatever you did in athletics. If I was to ask you, what is physically the hardest exertion that you've ever done? All of you, non-athletes, fans, you played some PE classes, did whatever they had through school. You can all answer that question, goddammit. You could answer it fast. It could have been a sprint to your mailbox. Maybe that was it. Maybe it took eight seconds, but it was the hardest thing that you've ever done. You know exactly what it was. And now let me ask you this. Let's just use the mailbox example. For some of you, that'll be what it is. 
I ran to my mailbox. I ran back. Boy, was I ever tired. It sure was a hot day. Did you do that again the next day? Did you do it again ever? And you see the problem? The answer to my question is no, which is why my first question of tell me the hardest physical exertion you've ever done. That's why you were able to identify because you did not come back. You did not do it again. Now you have professional athletes that are searching twice a day, every day, going through all this sweat, all these pounds and all these hours, but they're not really searching for that. It's something you say. Good for a Nike commercial, put a little swoosh on it, talk about a wall and you're going to move your wall out there. You put a little a little slogan on your t-shirt. Pain is nearly weakness, leaving the body. We can do all these different things, but guys, when you reach the ultimate exertion, it's a vulnerable spot. It's not a good feeling. You want to work hard. You want to try to avoid that. You do want to try to push that wall out there, but you still know where that point is and you still don't want to go back to it. That's just a reality. I don't tease or begrudge any of you. I'm sharing a reality, and I'm sharing this from personal experience. I also could answer the question. I also know what the hardest I was. I also knew how vulnerable I was. I also knew that I couldn't follow the golden rule to protect myself at all times. I just know what it was, and so do you. Jemayev had that his last time to bat. People will talk about, particularly in the boxing world, a guy gets knocked out, he'll never be the same. His chin's never the same. He's never the same fighter. All, all of this stuff. You want to know what a fighter changes? He'll change right there in front of your eyes. As soon as he's in a contest that's harder than he thought it was going to be, as soon as he's in a match that's harder than any other match he ever had, as soon as his heart rate, as soon as his scrambles, and as soon as his pulse is more difficult than anything he could emulate and attempt to simulate in practice, that's when he'll change. And he very seldomly will come back. Some do. Fedor Emelianenko, known collectively as the greatest heavyweight of all time. Brock Lesnar, Steve Miocic and John Jones will tell you Fedor is the greatest heavyweight of all time. But one thing about Fedor, he's got a quote. It's a very terrifying quote when other fighters saw it. You want to know what he said he loved? He didn't love, he didn't love martial arts. He didn't love getting stronger. He didn't love his team. He didn't love his coaches. He was in love with the feeling of being exhausted. That's a quote. And for people in this business, if that's true, that's terrifying. And when you watched Fedor's career, it did appear to be true. One thing he did in matches is he went hard. He went on sprints. And I bring this to you because Chemayev versus Burns was the hardest that Chemayev had ever been pushed. And it was also 15 minutes. And it was also a surprise for him. And it was also a surprise for you guys. And what does he do? He signs a contract to go 25. That's the business. That's the nature of it. I understand it. But I'm also sharing for you, that's a special guy. He then goes out and he prepares for the 25 minutes. He gets a last-minute replacement. So you can act like he was the skunk at the garden party. You'd be right to do that. But on the heels of the most trying time he's ever possessed in his young life, 
He did two takedowns. He caused two scrambles. He had a black belt in jiu-jitsu roll on him twice, where Chemayev has to keep his hands locked, go upside down in a 360, follow him with his hips, proceed with the takedown, where most people say, you know what? It's not worth it. I wasn't sure it was ever worth it. But the two times we went back to the mat and you spun back up to your feet, now I'm sure it's not worth it. It's not what Chemayev chose. He chose to push harder. He chose to stay with it. He chose to be in love with the feeling of being exhaustion. And he found a Darsh choke, which is a long man's move, right? If Kevin Holland went out there and Darsh choked Chemayev, at least from a positional standpoint, it wouldn't have been a huge surprise. Chemayev goes for it and he loses it. Now this creates an exhaustion within your arms. It's something called an adrenaline dump. It will burn the best guy. 99% of all upsets you've ever seen in this sport probably closer to 95%, involved in adrenaline dump. Shemayev stayed with it. And he stayed with it a third time. And he found it. And in the first round, without taking a punch, he submitted a jiu-jitsu black belt who at one point went on a five-fight win spree, which included Jacare. Guys, this is off the top of my head. I don't have any notes here. That's impressive. Dana White has now gone to the post-fight press conference and said he's a freak of nature. That's a quote. And then Dana openly said a title fight is a challenge. This is the word that he used. And it had to do with the missing of the weight. I believe when a guy misses weight, he no longer is in the weight class that he missed. That's what I believe. And I push that solid. I push this for Paulo Costa. When a guy misses a weight, he's no longer in that weight. Andy Foster, the executive director of the California State Athletic Commission, agrees with me. So I don't know that we have a challenge, and I don't know that we have a problem. I believe what we have is a middleweight. Guys, I like outstanding athlete of the night. I just came from that. In wrestling tournaments, we'd look at an entire tournament, we'd say an outstanding wrestler, and each weight class had a champion, and plenty of people got recognition. I just personally like that because oftentimes it doesn't go to somebody who won. Now, I will tell you as a critic, I will always try, I'm a human being, but I'll try to call it straight. I will not hedge to one side or the other, which includes I don't just go for the underdog and I damn sure don't go for the richest, most famous guy in the room. But guys, I have got to stroke the ego of Joe Rogan. I must tell you, Joe was the guy of the night. Joe did two things tonight, okay? It's very hard to stand your ground in one of those situations. Truly, if you're a human being and you're a regular human being, even the people like, if you were in there on worldwide TV with one of the baddest dudes in the world, really, think of yourself. If you were in there with somebody that you knew for sure can break bad, I'm in the playground where they break bad all night long, I'm well aware of what adrenaline is, and I could be hedging pissing this guy off. It's It really is real. And Joe Rogan, two nights, specifically with Chemayev, 
in a very pleasant, without making it look painful, and post-fight interviews, I gotta tell I mean, they really, they're, 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 you gotta have the right guy. He also pressed him like a defense attorney, like a prosecutor. He really did. Chemayev says, I don't care about weight. It's a great answer by Chemayev. He had it pocketed. He knew what was coming. I don't care about weight. I didn't come here for the scales. I came here for you. It was great. Said everything that he was ready to say. And Joe says, Hosmat, if this were a title fight and you shut up over weight, it is no longer for a championship. Weight matters. It was a very big deal that Joe called out because Chemayev almost got away with it. He was screaming, he was yelling, he was intense, the crowd's booing, he does not care. Everything was great. He proved that he's going to be the bad guy. He has been trying for you guys to be the bad guy. You guys took him the wrong direction. You guys love him. You guys are putting him over. You guys are cheering for him. He has done everything to get you to boo from the day he's got here. From day number two. On day number one, he was Khabib 2.0. You all loved Khabib. On day number two, he was challenging Khabib, and he did away with the moniker. He's threatening not yet. He's threatening to break your arms. You guys are still cheering for him. He's opening third fight. I'm going back to the Gilbert Burns. He's opening third fight of the night. We've got a world title fight in the form of the greatest fighter alive in Volkanovsky. You're cheering the loudest that you bought the most tickets for Chemayev. He's going crazy. He doesn't know what you're doing. So now he's got to start breaking rules. Right? I mean, the heel and the baby face is one of the oldest stories ever. In Hollywood, you got a guy with a pen and an eraser on the back of it. He can go ahead and write that in. And the world of entertainment, right? If you want to talk about Vince McMahon, you got to have a good guy and a bad guy. So the WWE creates a whole bunch of rules. You want to know why you don't have any bad guys in the WWE anymore? You want to know why? Because they don't have any rules. A bad guy can only do a, a couple of things to let you, the audience, know what side of the pool he's on. And the greatest thing is to take a rule and break it. WD they used to have all sorts of rules. They wouldn't start a wrestling match until they checked your knee pad. And the bad guys turn away, won't let you check your knee pad. Then you gotta they gotta feel your boot up and down. The bad guys take it away, he won't show you your boot because you gotta make it believe something's in it. You can't throw a guy over the top rope in the 80s. So when the referee is looking away, the bad guy pitches him over the top rope. No, the audience knows what side he's on. Chemayev has no choice but to go out and start street stuff. He's got no choice. He's trying to tell you a story that you were rejecting. And no matter how many of you want to tell me, well, Chael, you're, you're, you're close but not literal. If Chemayev himself wants to come out and tell me I'm close and not literal, believe me, as I stand aside and tell you there's a new bad guy in town, it hurts me. But it's the truth. He has done everything he can to get the reaction of the crowd that he wanted tonight. And I got to go back to Joe Rogan because Joe made a very good point. As cool as it sounds, and you'll come fight anybody, and we figured it out, and you handle your business in the cage, as, as good as this sounds, and as few rules as we have, we do have them. If you are trying to contest for a title, there is no catchweight business. It's not going to It was a really good job by Joe, and Joe pinned him down, and you saw Jemayev catch himself. He never thought in this interview, I'm going to have to think. He thought, I'm going to come out here, I'm going to shout, and I'm going to show you all that I don't apologize to anybody. Chemayev did everything right. Joe Rogan was awesome. And he pinned him down. And the answer matters.
And in all fairness, I'm not clear. I'm not clear if we got a catch waiter here. I'm not clear if we got a welterweight that showed up out of the limit. And I'm not clear if Adesanya and Piera might have just found the top contender. There has been nobody in history who has missed weight and gone into a title fight, no matter how good they are. Now, there's a first time for everything. And you got a real easy story to tell that a top guy that's completely undefeated, that's disposing of everybody quickly, missed weight because he's moving up. I like history. I like history as the greatest trajectory for the future. And I'm sharing with you, I wasn't clear on Jemayev's answer, but I wasn't clear because he didn't have it ready. And Joe Rogan pinned him down, and it was a great spot of the night. Jemayev is asking you guys to put him in this side of the pool. He is looking to take over. Nobody wants to be that guy. So the first guy to raise his hand gets it all to himself, but you've resisted. You've resisted to the point things are happening off camera. Screaming's happening in a cage. You got rules. The bad guy comes in and breaks them. He's telling you where he wants to be. Let the bad guy come through. All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And remember, you can catch new episodes of the show on Wednesdays and Fridays. And this Wednesday, I'll have more 279 talk and a bunch of other news for you guys. Stuff is coming in as we speak. I will be breaking it on Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.